1: Hello there, Internet Wanderers. Welcome back to a brand new year of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist.
2: And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist.
1: Real Psych is your favorite podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies.
2: J.D., will there be learning? Oh uh, Yeah. Will there be science?
1: Oh uh yeah uh, you know I think so. <laughs> Will
2: there be delightfully informal explorational informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways?
1: Oh, Halle Berry, yes, I think so. <laughs> is that okay? It's is what okay?
2: Is your your impression? Are we are you allowed to do that?
1: It's an impression of the dude from the movie.
2: <laughs> Which movie? this movie <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a southern accent that's he does this like this like foghorn like
1: leghorn like a... oh Hannah was... Barry he literally says that
2: he does he does so listen I thought if it was, it was a like... bad
1: impression <laughs> then, <laughs> then, I think it's okay but I think it's uh I feel that it is politically appropriate to do a terrible impression of foghorn leghorn from this movie yeah
2: yeah okay
1: Who'd you think it was? Oh no. I thought,
2: I th- I thought it was like, I don't I don't want to say.
1: Oh no. <laughs> Did you think I was doing an urban voice?
2: I thought it was like it felt like my favorite like,
1: microaggression, by the way.
2: <laughs> Baptist urban. church
1: sermon. Oh, well, sure. He kind of talks like yeah. that.
2: Yeah, he does. You're right.
1: He does kind of talk like that. Um, yeah. Uh how are you?
2: I am good. I am very pregnant.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, what are you? The answer is...
2: Uh, Yeah, I feel like I have to just add a disclaimer. And I I felt this way since, like, July, since, like, we have been recording this. But I get out of breath very easily. And (laughs) I feel winded just from talking. And I think that, you know... I I apologize in advance slash, I guess in retrospect as well. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> if you've been noticing, us, <laughs> yeah, it's
1: their present but our past,
2: right? If if you've been listening to it and it sounds like I've been out of breath, it's because the, the baby
1: you know pushing on my lungs. We've had hundreds of letters saying, "When is Joanna going to do?" <laughs> i like, like out of
2: I'm out of breath right now. <sighs>
1: She's on but your yeah, lungs. You can't I fill think, them up the same.
2: I think, uh, you know, if it's a compromised listening experience, I apologize. But hey, you know,
1: you know what, Erickson says that compromise is the key to intimacy and love. So, and that's
2: the that's the relationship I want with the audience.
1: Exactly, an intimate, yeah. loving relationship, yeah. full. <laughs> Of gorgeous little compromises here and there. Listen, this audience uh, compromised on sound quality for six full months. That's (laughs) true. So I think it's great that you're you're making sure that they have to work for it a little bit.
2: Because I do, too.
1: Because you do, too. (laughs) Meanwhile, everything comes easy to me. (laughs) This is my time to announce I am not pregnant.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: I look so what?
2: I was saying you look so like scholastic and scholarly. Oh,
1: yeah. I'm in my background. I'm in my office of my practice because uh, there is a planned power outage on my block because they're putting in new telephone poles for a condo building going in behind me.
2: Oh, I thought you said there were storms. Both
1: things are true. I oh, thought gosh. it was, I thought the power outage was due to storms. And then I looked out and I was like, why is there a crane fixing the storm? And it turns <laughs> out that, yeah. So there's a lot of water in LA. Y'all may have seen such things on people's doesn't uh, happen
2: too often. Instagrams.
1: I mean, like floods in the street. Like it's, it's That's pretty wild. wild. Like, rivers in the street. But right now it is not currently raining. Um. The only current raining is our current rain on your hearts <laughs> with this podcast. Yep,
2: that's how that we took Brianna three weeks off.
1: Let up. Yeah, uh, three weeks off. It only feels like one to y'all because I kept posting things. <laughs> Caught us up. Oh, you did. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Cool. We, yeah, we we were off last week, but we went all the way up until the new year. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, we're doing great.
2: Okay, then. never um, mind.
1: Yeah, never mind. Jk, this is a planned bit that we had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? How's uh, what's your New Year outlook? What's what's happening to you this year? What's your? Goal? I feel
2: good. I mean, like twenty twenty two. I know all the memes were like, "Wow, ah, this year was such a disaster." I was like, I crushed it last year. You did I crush feel... it.
1: You you met a man. uh you you got engaged and married. You're having a baby.
2: I got a new job, like my dream job. job.
1: You did get your dream job.
2: We started this podcast. Your DJ.
1: We started this podcast <laughs> in twenty twenty two.
2: I mean, what? Else? Like, I, I just, uh, there's a lot to be grateful for, and I feel like this year is like, if I can survive childbirth, I feel pretty like that's all. What else do you need? You know,
1: right? It's so the yeah. benefit of not being in eighteen forty one.
2: Yeah. Well, you know. Maternal mortality rates are higher in the US than any other. Yeah, but you're having the baby in Sweden, Sweden, right? <laughs> yeah, I am flying to Sweden.
1: Yeah, in the third try me because that's when you <laughs> should go to Sweden at
2: 38 weeks, is where at we're gonna the... go. <laughs> um, I love yeah, that. no, so I just, I'm like, this year is just gonna be great because, like, how I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's not like a walk in the park to have a baby and postpartum depression is something I'm like legitimately worried about. But I also am like, this is, this is, that's it. That's my year is, is this. And
1: you know, you've got, I I think the thing about postpartum depression that I think about a lot as a therapist in general is like, you've got your eye on it, right? Like you're aware that like, this is something that may come to pass may, you still don't know. uh, Yeah. I actually think there's not a huge correlation uh, in general between like history of like MDD and this is something that I should research for this podcast. Oh,
2: because I've um, heard there is quite. You've heard there's a a really high
1: correlation. Yeah. I've heard. uh, So some of what I remember is just that the prevalence rates of postpartum depression are so high that like there's a lot of people who have no predisposition. And so I think it depends on how you flip the data. Yeah. Where it's like. Is there a higher number of people with postpartum that have? Yeah. Anyways, I'll find out that that
2: makes sense. I yeah, I also feel like, you know, I'm I'm putting the infrastructure in place. Like I'm getting support now. And exactly like so, you know, it may happen, but I feel hopeful that I can get through it. But yeah, I don't like I don't I'm not like, oh, my gosh, this year is going to be like all sunshine yeah. and happiness but it is gonna be great you know like it just it's is gonna be
1: a big year no matter yeah. what yeah no matter what yeah my 2022 was uh high highs and low lows a little bit of both um and i i started my private practice started this podcast uh left my job at ucla i'm now fully mm-hmm. in private practice and i'm able to that's a big that's
2: huge yeah
1: it's pretty it's pretty major Pretty mage. Um. Got some cool stuff coming in 2023 that I'm pretty excited about, and uh, you know, just excited to like hit my stride in my practice and get used to having uh, a livable wage. <laughs>
2: uh, it's the best, I will tell you.
1: I know the 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 <laughs> real, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about this today. Actually, the real, I think, trick, you know, my 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 um my kind of resolution for. Uh, 2023 is to engage in more of the boring self-care things that I need to engage in because for me self-care is like
3: clean the bathroom
1: floor which is like dull but I feel better when it's mm. clean right mm-hmm. or like go through that pile of mail you know where it's like boring but knowing that that's done I feel better uh, yeah, and so like yeah. being a little more on top of like you know just all the little like things I need to do um, so that I like go to sleep with, with fewer things waiting for me in the morning so that my downtime is real downtime. Um, Cause as, as y'all who've been listening to this podcast probably know, like my, I am great at like buy the shoes, take the nap, watch the show, go on vacation. I'm great at that. But for me, it's the, it's the like, you know, we don't balance checkbooks anymore, but it's the like double check your auto pay on your health insurance yeah you, <laughs> you know, know like I, that kind of stuff
2: i started um tracking or yeah like tracking daily habits that make mm-hmm. me feel better not things mm-hmm. that i and it's it's a balance right because it's not just like a list of things that you're saying i have to do this otherwise i'm not like a good person or right. an adult or yes, whatever there's no
1: moral uh, attachment right. to any of these
2: And it's not like do nothing. And that's, you know, that's my active rebellion of self-care. It's like, what are the actual habits and rituals that make me feel better? Like, Mm -hmm. I love taking my dog for a walk, which I don't do every day. Well, especially not now, but like, I don't do every single day, like multiple times a day because I have a backyard and it's like easy to not, but I feel better Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he feels better when he gets exercise, like or like totally. goes out for a walk, or um, making my like tea a certain way in the morning, or tidying before I go to bed so that it mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, I wake up to yeah. like a clutter free house. And
1: yeah, totally. I
2: just started like tracking that on a whiteboard that I can see, and I just look across like or making my bed. That's like something that makes yeah, me that's feel a really good. good.
1: One, yeah, and changing my. I, sh-
2: yeah. And I, I look at it at the end of the week. I do it like each week. And I also, there's no, there's no expectations. Like I don't check every single thing off every single day,
3: mm-hmm. but
2: like looking at it and being like, these are the things that bring me like peace and help me relax in my home.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It was like a huge, it was a huge exercise just to define what those tasks were
1: yeah,
2: and to let go of like the perfectionism of like, you know, oh, I did this five times this week. That's pretty good. You know, as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, I missed two days. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Well, and it's, yeah, because we we attach these, like, moral uh, assumptions to these things. Like, good yeah. people, you know, clean under their dresser, right? When, like, different people have different priorities. I, I got to see a dust bunny before it bothers me. The fact that I can't, yeah. like, you know, not see. I, I don't care that my guest bed has never been cleaned under, uh, you know what I mean? Like those kinds of things yeah. like, don't matter to me, and so I don't beat myself up about them. Um, and and like I, you know, I'm not great at cleaning my house, so I invite people over because I know that I'll clean before they come over, and I know I'll feel happier. So I Life need hack. this like external motivation. <laughs> yeah, I also clean my house a lot when I'm editing the podcast because it's something that I have to listen. But Mm -hmm. I don't have to have my eyes on it. So it's great. I can put headphones in and walk around and do dishes and listen through to make sure that like, you know, there aren't any hiccups or dog barks or any of those kinds of things. And then, you know, I can pop over to my computer and make the adjustments if I need to cut stuff or whatever. And like that's been a good like habit to get into where like yeah. it's, it's a multitask but it's like a really productive multitask of like okay i have to be a little bit of a captive audience and listen to a conversation i've already had so mm-hmm. what can i do while i listen to a conversation i've already had and so i right. do that because it's a way to take care of me that's smart i'm, su- I'm super smart i'm like i'm really smart <laughs> i
2: love <person>. efficiency
1: <laughs> yeah that's me <laughs> i am actually <laughs> uh, procrastination is actually a highly efficient way to get work done and I'm a skilled procrastinator. Uh, And so it is a real thing. If you do it at the last minute, it only takes a minute. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. The 11th hour is the uh is when is when perfectionism has to stop existing because you've right. only got, you know, this time. And uh yeah, I learned not to judge myself for the fact that like, sure, I didn't give it like three weeks and put in like a hero's share of effort on a lot of homework and things like that. And also like when I realized like, oh, maybe my professors aren't so smart or aren't so dumb that I'm magically outsmarting all of them. Maybe the goal of a paper is just to try. And I tried and I did a good enough job. I mean, I had like a very good GPA, (laughs) but like in my brain, because I did it at the last minute, it was like a lazy thing when it was like my grades did not reflect that. So maybe I should just.
2: Yeah, like you also procrastination. It's like uh, you it
1: works, right. It worked great for me. yeah, and that learning that really changed me. Mm-hmm. Learning that really saved me a lot of self-loathing and shame. So hopefully you yeah. can disseminate that in some way. Oh, yeah. wait, this is being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Should we talk
2: about a movie?
1: Let's talk about a movie.
2: So last time I completely forgot to choose a movie <laughs> and it was very embarrassing. And I, I think I, got I was, that out of the pocket. Well, I'll just tell you right now. I thought that you did, but I, I can't, <laughs> I'm compulsively honest.
1: Speaking of I've James been told Burles. that
2: I've been told that by, um, mentors I <laughs> have no <a> problem. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, I was like a D de- I mean it's good that you cut it out because I was just like the like could not <laughs> <laughs> could not even pull anything from my brain anyways but that's why there's nothing at the end of I'm sure
1: we announced that that we would be going yeah. into it later we here yeah, it yeah. is so what's our here
2: movie? it is uh should I just say it? We had yeah, like a very anticlimactic text <laughs> exchange <laughs> that I was like, oh, maybe this will work uh, where I just texted you like our usual spiel and it was uh, very boring.
1: Um, to be fair, it was like, it was a very obvious tagline. And yeah. so it was also like, oh, well, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's this. It was like, I yeah. was like, cool. And you were like, wow, this is so underwhelming.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a movie from 2022. Boom. It's a classic whodunit. Boom. Boom. Um, Glass Onion, right? Glass it's Onion. A, a knives out joint.
1: A knives and, out picture.
2: And uh came out on Netflix, super accessible to watch. I did you see Knives Out? Mm-hmm. I saw it too. I saw it in theaters. I was like th- these like Who Done It mystery movies. I mean, they're popular so for a cute. reason. Yeah. They're
1: so fun. They're fun. They're snackable. Yeah. Although this one is two hours and nineteen minutes long. It's
2: really long
1: really long i i yeah. budgeted two hours and so when we got just and i watched it just before this uh recording and so i texted joanna just before we started i was like i need 15 more minutes because i budgeted two hours and it is two hours and 19 minutes
2: yeah it, it yeah. was really long but um yeah it was adorable i mean it was a lot going on but um,
1: is the both of them these these films are star freaking studded, studded yes yes
2: yeah, Who's in we this got movie? everybody. We got Kate Hudson.
1: Kate Hudson,
2: just looking fabulous. Uh, we got Dave David Batista. Dave, Dave Batista. We got Daniel Craig.
1: Daniel Craig.
2: We got Janelle Monae. Janelle,
1: the star Monae,
2: crushing it. Just like I, she's so good in this. She, like this is charisma, worth, charm. worth. You should watch it just for her. She's so
1: just, effervescent. I've thought this amazing since her music came out. Since I, I mean, I think I first heard of her in like 2011 or so when she had tightrope.
2: Mm-hmm. And she,
1: y'all, she released this music video for a song that she did called Cold War, where it's just a still camera on her the whole time. And she does like a full acting performance. And I was just like, who is this woman? And how is she the most talented person on earth? And then she did Moonlight. And in Moonlight, she is in. Ten minutes of that movie, and she is just so natural and so charming and charismatic. Uh, she's, she's she's so. so I don't
2: want to. Oh, I guess we will spoil it because we're gonna we're going to spoil what it. Happens right? Um, the accent work.
1: The it's, accent work is so great, but also so it was good. a nice balance of like funny, but mm-hmm. like consistent. Yeah. Um, playing two characters because it's yeah. a who done it, so there's always got to be a twin.
2: Right. Um, twins.
1: Twins. <laughs> That Came up on this week's episode of the pit stop. If you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, and twins, twins.
3: <laughs> where one of the,
1: everybody's like, What? and then one of the queens is like, Remember that beer commercial? and twins, <laughs> they just keep saying it, and everybody's like, I, just, I don't know what you're talking about.
2: <laughs> I got it from um, that short lived amazing show, Great News.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There was like a part where she like panics the main character like panics and she's just like and twin <laughs> <So I don't
1: laughs> it's know. such a gross <laughs> reference it's a beer commercial i didn't even know that like all the things that dudes love it's like it, i'm paraphrasing and making it up yeah. and hyperbolically but it's like trucks and football and a cold one <laughs> and then the last one goes and twins <laughs> and it just shows like two hot blonde twins and it's just like ew yeah
2: that's stop. perfect.
1: that's Back. perfect Anyways, uh, Catherine Hahn, Mm. Edward Norton, or as his friends call him, Eddie Nornor. (laughs) (laughs) Who else? Uh, Who else? Uh, Leslie Odom Jr.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. Very Uh, happy. A
1: a weird little Ethan Hawke cameo. (laughs) Yeah. A weird, funny Serena Williams cameo. A weird, funny Jeremy Renner cameo. Yes.
2: Yeah. A, was a weird good
1: one. reference to Jared Leto. <laughs> um, This yeah. movie has it all. This movie has it all. And in fact, there's a lot of plot points. So we're going to have to. This is going to be one of the ones where we're just sort of like watch it.
2: Yeah. It's like basically all of these people get invites to this island.
1: From we're the not billionaire quite Edward Norton.
2: Yes. And. Um, we're not quite sure how they're all like connected to each other, but they're yeah, connected. But you know,
1: at the you know, at the outset, you're like, yeah. there's a thing, but yeah. they're all friends and they all get brought to this island with the exception of two people. One person played by Janelle Monet, who they're like, oh, no, Cassie. Is that her name? Andy. Andy, where they're like, oh, no, she this billionaire and she fell out over business stuff. And then, uh, Foghorn Leghorn. Mm-hmm. What is his? What is the detective's name? Benoit Blanc. Ben, wah, there you wah. go. Oh, with a good. far I say, I say, I say, I say. Uh, yeah, right. he's just doing the most, to say the least. Um, <laughs> They all get brought there, and it's going to be a murder mystery party.
2: Yes. Woo. And it's like they have these weekends like every year. And... Every year,
1: because it's a billionaire friend, and they go to right. their billionaire island and just hang out with their billions of dollars.
2: Yeah, and basically you find out through the course. So, first of all, you find out that Benoit Blanc was not, not invited by Edward Norton. And so he was like, I'm so happy you're here because we have this fun murder mystery party planned. But written by Julian
1: Flynn. <laughs> Dude, didn't she write Gone Girl? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's kind of tickled by it and is like, you know, you're welcome to stay. Um, and then Andy is there um, where she did receive an invite,
1: but or Andy
2: received an invite.
1: Andy received an invite, which we'll talk about Mm -hmm. in in mere, mere seconds.
2: Yeah. But Um, essentially all of these people like are, uh, like, related to this billionaire through He's, business, he is or like, he has he like, funding
1: them or backing yeah. them or like whatever. And they're all a good group of friends. We find out that Janelle Monet's character, Andy, used to be good friends with them. She had a falling out and she was cut out of the company that she, she co owned with, yeah, with, with Edward Norton, right? Um, and You know, they go to this, you know, they're all there. It's a little tense. There's little like peas and carrots, peas and carrots moments where, of course, they're all dropping clues here and there, here and there. Mm -hmm. Then they get to this dinner party and you're like ready to hear about the murder mystery. And Edward Norton introduces it. And then immediately Benoit Blanc solves the murder mystery before the fake murder has even happened. Mm hmm. And everybody's like, wait, what? And so the trailer of this movie does such a nice job of setting you up where this is the moment that we're all like, wait, what? (laughs) Because we think, you know, of course, it's like for the murder of billionaire Edward Norton, whatever his name is. And we're all like, oh, Miles, whatever. Miles Funk something. He has a weird last name. Miles. Mm -hmm. Miles is going to get killed. (laughs) Friend of the pod, Miles, uh, (laughs) is going to get killed. So we're expecting that, like, oh, that's what's going to happen. It's like we're going to think it's going to be a fake murder. It's going to be a real murder. And then, of course, the thing happens and we realize, like, wait, what? Now all bets are off. And the whole room starts to sort of, like, it deflates. There's some conflicts with because Andy has shown up and they have all, we find out that they in court sort of all testified that she did not have any intellectual property on this thing. Yeah, to really screw her out of that like she is like a very much like ostracized like angry you know the person who mm-hmm. obviously has the most motive to murder but we learn that of course all of them have motives to murder miles cuz right. he's funding all of them but he's also not super nice but,
2: and there's like blackmail and
1: blackmail white mail actually there's red mail there is red <laughs> mail in this there's a red envelope <laughs> yes, there is um yeah there's a whole bunch of stuff uh <laughs> there is blackmail white males, and red mail <laughs> <laughs> all three exist within this film. Um, exactly. You heard it here first, folks. And uh, then um, they're all starting to figure stuff out. Dave, or you know, they're all not happy. Dave Bautista dies. Yeah. Oh, no. Then, you know, lights, there's, who did it? Who did it? Who did it? Lights go out. His gun is missing. Everybody runs around. Gunshot. Janelle Monet dies. Mm-hmm. Then we go back in time and we find out Janelle Monet is actually Janelle Monet's sister,
2: Twin. twins. Twins. <laughs> we
1: find out that a bunch of stuff happened. She's been in cahoots. She's the one who invited. Uh, because the
2: the actual Andy was was actual died. Andy was
1: actually murdered previously.
2: Yeah, they uh, they think it was a suicide or was ruled a suicide but her sister knows that right there was i mean something it was ruled a suicide
1: but there is like a paper thin case like she's yeah. we've got outgoing emails we've got mm-hmm. like no suicide note we've got like a lot of reasons to believe mm-hmm. like this is Moira. yeah and uh anyway so then we find out they're in cahoots foghorn leghorn brought her there so that he could ask questions and she's been doing some mystery finding. And we found out a bunch of mystery stuff about why all of them have motives, uh, in the background. So we sort of rewatched the first half of the movie. Yes. From a different angle. Then we discover that Janelle Monet too. Well, sister, that twin sister who showed up is not actually dead. Is uh, her so
2: name Cassie? Helen. Okay. So no one's Cassie.
1: <laughs> no one's Cassie. <laughs> okay. Her name is Helen. Uh, And anyways, cut to they all show up. Helen has now provided. I mean, we're skipping through a lot of this because like, y'all, you got this. Just watch it. Yeah, just watch it. Helen is able to provide the document that shows that the the red envelope that she black that she didn't quite blackmail, but she like threatened everybody with. We discover that Helen has the thing and that it's obvious that Edward Norton had to have killed her. Um, which he set up like such a mystery where of course it's like, he invited her to the thing, which like, great by inviting her to the thing, it now looks like, of course you couldn't have killed her because she's not dead. Or like, he wasn't supposed to be off the Island, but of course he was off the Island because like, whatever. And there's a bunch of little clues and stuff. Anyways, long story short, uh, she gets uh, a bunch of revenge on Edward Norton. She blows up his whole house. Yeah. Yeah. Blows up the Mona Lisa, which is yeah. important in the film. The actual Mona Lisa is in the thing. I mean, obviously not the actual Mona Lisa. That's a prop one from the movie that they burn. Right. Don't worry, folks. But,
2: like, in the movie, it's supposed to be the real one, just and to, then, like, show that he could.
1: And basically she gets every... She, she, uh, well, and my favorite thing is when uh, Edouard... What's his name? I want to call him Edouard Delacroix, like, from the Green Mile. Uh, Ber, Ber, Benoit Blanc.
2: Benoit uh, Blanc, yeah.
1: Benoit Blanc uh, is, like, Gives this whole amazing monologue about how just because this guy is a billionaire, you think he's smart. He's actually very dumb. Like, and yeah. there's all of these amazing examples of how dumb he is by saying like, "Hey, can everybody just abbreviate this moment?"
2: Yeah, all these words that he mispronounces and yeah, malapropisms. The uh, the difficulty that Benoit Blanc had in solving the case was because he assumed
1: that this billionaire, smart.
2: yeah, that the killer was smart.
1: Yeah. So anyways, they rub his nose in it. Uh, Janelle, everybody except Dave Bautista lives. And they all agree to testify that Edward Norton is, in fact, a big dum-dum. And also he was investing in this like hydrogen based fuel that blows up his whole house that he that all of them are telling him not to do. But he's like insisting. And uh, Mm -hmm. and now he's going to be ruined. We kind of can. Yeah. That's the movie. That's the movie. What did you think?
2: I I mean, I thought it was like a fun watch. Yeah. Um. I think like, and we'll we'll talk about this more after the break. But like, the biggest theme that jumped out to me was, you know, I I think Edward Norton, and I'm sure there's interviews where he's like talking about this. He was channeling certain real life humans, uh, in his yeah. portrayal, and really like, just examining this idea of like are rich people or these billionaires or these heads of companies whatever are they really the smartest people in the room right um and yeah. really just like turning that on its head and you know pulling teasing that apart like what does the research say like what what's actually going on here so which
1: is a theme in these movies in the first *Knives mm-hmm. out movie it's sort of the, the I won't spoil it, but like, you know, it does become a bit of like the scrappy little nobody, the sort of protagonist of the the family connection in the first Knives Out movie is the nurse mm-hmm. who works for the family. And she's the one that you're sort of rooting for, just mm-hmm. like in this film, you're rooting for Janelle Monet, the Helen, the twin, who's a third grade teacher who, right. you know, has no uh, is not living this grand life of like Catherine Han's character is a governor Lamar, uh, uh, uh le- not Lamar Odom, Leslie Odom jr's, <laughs> uh, different. character. I know the Odoms, um, Leslie Odom jr's character is a scientist. Um, uh, Kate Hudson, by the way, can we just acknowledge like Kate Hudson's really funny in this movie. She's
2: so good. <laughs> yeah. She's like the most fun.
1: There's a great little bit where they're like, Bertie, please tell me that when they told you your factory, was one of the worst sweatshops in the or one of the most uh one of the most famous sweatshops in the world and you said that sounds perfect it's not because you thought that sweatpants were made in sweatshops <laughs> and she's like <laughs> like she's like my bad <laughs> she yeah just is so uh yeah she's just this like really vapid she has another line that kills me where he's like everybody wow watch birdie spin and she goes she goes miles said look at me <laughs> which like she plays it so well where she's like i'm gonna go for a swim and then the hot young dave bautista arm candy gets out of the pool she goes i'm actually gonna sit here for a little while like she's just so funny also jenna- like
2: jenna maroney
1: Mary Jenna Maroney. Also, the idea that, like, I mean, this this gorgeous young woman next to Kate Hudson, where Kate Hudson's supposed to be intimidated by her beauty, when it's like you're you they look, look an same. awful lot like yeah. Kate Hudson. Yeah, and you've aged incredibly well. Yeah, again, that's a really biased term and ageist and yada yada yada. Kate Hudson looks like Kate Hudson looked twenty years ago. So, she aging sure well is a problematic term, but we can definitely say she sure does look the same.
2: She looks, she looks great.
1: Yeah, she looks really great. So, after this gorgeous break, we are going to talk about money and psychology money. and wealth <laughs> and what it and, all means.
2: And perception. And, gonna twins. Actually, okay, and twins. And twins.
1: <laughs> That's a better button. I gotta stop. That's a better button. I was going to make a joke that we had Elon <laughs> Musk on after the break, but you know what? And twins is like a callback. It's funnier sounding. Um yeah. So we're going to It's gonna really have funny when you explain it too. Elon Musk's evil <laughs> twin to come back <laughs> yeah. and talk to us about poverty. We'll um, be right
3: back. We'll be right back. Bye. Bye.
1: Here we go. We're back. We're back. We're back, 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 back again. <laughs> uh let's let's talk about some psychology.
2: Yeah. Because we both we, this is
1: actually the first time that we fully landed on the same topic. We I think I we just, came I, at it from slightly different angles.
2: As as we are prone to doing. Listen. Doing, what? Yeah. Grammar. We're
1: doing great, as we're prone to doing.
2: Yeah uh yeah because we have different kind of approaches to psychology but yeah this is like the first time but i i just think this was the thing that was hitting you over the head that was it like it really
1: was like the thing the to talk about.
2: quotes that came out of it was like right. benoit blank's monologue about it and it's
1: we've and we've talked about celebrity we've talked about murder we've talked about you know a lot of different things that are mm-hmm. that are also present in this movie but it was the kind of thing where it's like you know what we haven't talked about billionaires yeah and i will say y'all there so the, there is not research on billionaires in terms of like the psychology of billionaires there are so few billionaires <laughs> that like other than like you know we can't do like a randomized control trial to figure out who's going to like become a billionaire because it's so rare that like so a lot of this we there's there's you know there's a weird cult of sort of personality that i think we're seeing in general around the concept of billionaires i think particularly in the last decade yeah this is anecdotal this is not based in
2: well this is also with the rise of billionaires as a class of people Well, there are more
1: and more billionaires but billionaires existed before 10 years ago it's just you know i could only have named before a decade ago I probably could have only named like Bill Gates, Steve jobs, Oprah. Donald Trump claims to be a billionaire. I think he is now a billionaire. He was, um, he claimed to be a billionaire for a long time. I think, um, without, uh, substantiating that claim. Do you know, I did find one article that was really short that I didn't want to pull on, but it was about the perception of wealth and about, um, Oh Yeah. I did some research on that. Oh, okay. Well, great. Why don't you tell me about your research on that? Because okay, I, didn't, that's so we get full, I didn't do a full dive on that. I was just going to share a fun fact.
2: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of like correlational research, which, as we've talked about many times, correlation does not equal causation. Correct. But there's a lot of correlational research between IQ levels and income um, that's, you know, flawed to say the least. But I think that's where maybe this perception is rooted from, but, like, I did... Uh, there's a study by Lecult, L- 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 uh, who sure. did who did a few different... Like, sampled from a few different populations. One with, was millionaires. So not billionaires, but millionaires in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, this all took place in Germany. And then, like, nationally representative data, which was, like, tens of thousands of people... Um, and looked at basically personality. So not intelligence necessarily, but like personality mm-hmm. perceptions. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, what they found was that the people's perception of wealthy people's like personality traits were actually fairly accurate, but were exaggerated. So the, the like amount of of a certain personality trait that they would right. perceive it was like more than what the what these oh, millionaires totally. actually self reported but there's you know this um uh, these personality traits like um being like more extroverted open um narcissistic conscientious
3: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. um emotionally stable and in, <laughs> uh more yeah which i was like uh, but and had uh, more of an, an internal locus of control. And right. so those were the different or the 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 personality differences that millionaires had um more so than kind of the average average person internationally yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and that um was reflected in people's perception of millionaires um but there's you know, these other studies that that really, you know that are related to this that show you know rich people or wealthy people are rated as low in warmth high mm-hmm. in competence right and so this is like you know there's these like they're go-getters they're you know maybe more like greedy or like self-focused
1: uh-huh. um
2: but wow. they're they're uh you, yeah they're more focused on themselves than on others potentially less honest there's like all of these um Citations from the study that they were talking about, other studies finding, but these are kind of the the differences in personality traits and the perception of those uh, yeah, characteristics. Yeah.
1: I found a similar a similar thing uh, that was by um, uh, F. R. uh de Vries.
2: That's and a good good try.
1: K e t s space d e space Vries. cats devries
2: cats devries yeah
1: (laughs) anyways uh from 2021 that looked uh at like the what they called like the inside it looked inside the inner theater of the super rich which Mm -hmm. also was sort of the looking at the personality traits by reviewing sort of like their inner uh their inner theater how they portray themselves you know within themselves and so they found patterns um like having uh a magnificence obsession, being persistent, mm-hmm. having people skills. Uh, they saw themselves as non-conformists, as being um, having self-efficacy, uh achievement-oriented, intuitive, they have a desire to win and calculated risk taking. Um, and that they view their money uh symbolically. Mm. And and um they also found what they called the dark dyad which is the toxic combination of narcissism and psychopathy which like <laughs> again psychopathy y'all being related to anti-persona- anti-personal anti-personal antisocial personality disorder not anti-personality social disorder <laughs> that's a different one um i know some people with an anti-personality social disorder um jk LOL, i'm a psychologist and i care about everyone
2: they're fun um, at parties
1: the, <laughs> and uh <laughs> But, you know, this antisocial personality is the idea that your the rules are different for you than for others. And so, like, we see that sort of sociopathy, psychopathy, um, so, lacking empathy.
2: Yeah. So, that brings me to this. So, I love, like, ridiculously named theories. Yes, you do. Um, and so, I came across this theory called the solipsistic social cognitive tendencies theory that relates oh, perfectly to what you're saying. Great. By Krauss. Um, from 2012 and it's, uh, uh, the name of the article is social class, solipsism and Contextualis- contextualism, contextualism,
3: mm-hmm. how the rich are
2: different from the poor. Um, do you know, so, are you familiar with solipsism as a philosophical, I, like
1: uh, vaguely, but please enlighten okay. me, me and our audience. You
2: want to hear like a hilarious, oh, I'll, I'll tell you what it is first. It's like a philosophical, uh, like. Type that or a philosophy that basically is like nothing exists I cannot be certain that anything exists except for me and my thoughts so like Love everything that. else everything else could just be <laughs> fake oh right. this is all for me
1: right um, and the treatment <laughs> show effect
2: but like you're but like you're cool with it
1: yeah. And well, so I'd be cool with being on TV <laughs> all the time. Everybody's a fan of me. Everybody's watching me.
2: Just I have kidding. to tell you that, that um this guy when I was like in my late teens, twenties, that I was obsessed with for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I thought he was like so cool and edgy and he like listened to like the cool music. But that was like he was like, that's my personal philosophy is I'm a solipsist. And I was like, Google, like what does that mean? And then this is like,
1: yeah. Uh...
2: Um, and looking back, I was like, "Yup, that's perfect. That's like exactly who I would have been obsessed with." <laughs> I should definitely spend ten years on this person. Um. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, so I have, I have like a, a fondness for it because I kind of, I mean, I do think through lots of therapy, I think about like, "Oh, younger self, you're adorable." Um, But basically, what this refers to in the solipsistic social cognitive tendencies theory, it characterizes these wealthy individuals by self-focused agentic, which means like, you know, agency.
1: Oh, sure. Self-agency.
2: And by being less pro-social. So they're more narcissistic, less agreeable to your Pro-social
1: meaning to benefit society, not meaning not engaging in society. And
2: it is essentially... The abundant resources and elevated social rank creates the contexts that you know enhance the the like freedoms or like entitlement of these right. upper class individuals, and that's what allows them to feel like, well, of course, every, everything works out for me. Everything is like right, you know, for me, and and it makes them more individualistic, mm-hmm. um, focused on their own internal state's goals motivations emotions because that is all that needs to matter for things to happen for them right. whereas like when they looked at um like lower income individuals with diminished resources lower social rank that you know they have kind of these constrained social outcomes they can only you know move up so far um right. it they, that's where this contextualism comes into play so it's a focused on external uncontrollable social forces and other individuals who are influencing. So they have less agency and they're more focused on these external factors. Um, And so I just love a a cleverly named theory, but it relates to what you're talking about with this less pro-social behavior because they don't have to be right. They don't have to think about what other people want.
1: Yeah. They don't have to. There's other people. I mean, there's also the, the sort of cult of the cult of celebrity, which like, again, when you're a billionaire, like I do think like you, you know, I, I've said this. Um, you know, no offense to old and famous like stand-up comedians, but like after you make a hundred million dollars, you stop being relatable to the average person, which means mm-hmm. your comedy suffers because your comedy is for normal people, right? Once you once you stop going to the grocery store, you stop. You lose a piece of the relatability, mm-hmm. and I think like it. Not only that you're also surrounded by people who tell you all your ideas are good ones right so mm-hmm. like when when like comedians are coming up in the world they are no one's laughing at them because of who they are right they they laugh at they have to be so funny just to get there and i think billionaires it's a similar thing right where like you have to have some really powerful ideas or a really clever way to tweak the system in order to make your wealth unless it comes mm-hmm. from generational wealth Mm-hmm. um or you know you even the, the cleverness of Edward Norton in this film is that he leached uh and you know with with tenacity right
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he was you know a barracuda right like he made sure that the contracts for this very smart woman played by Janelle Monáe uh were completely not to her benefit but right. cuz he knew she had all the ideas he he knew enough to know that he was stupid basically um but so like this but also then he's surrounding himself by people who are profiting off of him who are feeding off of him so you lose this like accountability as well because everyone tells you all your ideas are good ones so like Mm -hmm. sometimes like when i think about celebrities and people like oh my gosh that person is so self-centered oh that person is so whatever um i was watching a video the other day of a of a model talking about her like vogue Like, uh, you know, these are my life and looks with Vogue or whatever, the supermodel. And she was like, because this is, you know, this this moment was just so huge and it was just everywhere. And I was like, no, it was everywhere to you. Like it was a big moment for you. But like Mm -hmm. I follow fashion. I follow supermodels. And I was like, I don't know what this moment is. Yeah. And I'm paying attention. So like it's this like the cult of celebrity, the cult of wealth that like it all becomes about you know, if you spend every day where everybody is doing their absolute best to make sure that all of your needs are met and that you are happy, you start to believe that your happiness and your needs being met is priority over all other people. Right. You know, spoiled children are not born. It's not that there's a magic seed of evil in them. It's that like they are socialized to believe that their needs are the only needs that matter. Right. And Sarah Silverman actually has I cannot say enough how much I love Sarah Silverman, but she, uh, during I think like the last election, somebody had asked her on her podcast something about like, why, how do people like, how is Donald Trump like this or whatever? And she's like, you know, I don't know this man, but I think if you're raised in a family where money is the primary source of like fulfillment and happiness and joy, you know, you were, repl- you know, that's what love is in so many other spaces. And so like when, when the only way you to feel the thing you feel from love is to, to make money and to get it for yourself, right? Like that you have a completely different, like moral structure. And so right. it's not that, cause I, again, and I don't believe anyone is proactively evil, but I think there are people who are running on scripts that, bel- that tell them that they're you know, the, the, the American script that God made us number one because he loves us the best. So therefore, mm-hmm. if we're doing this for America, it is it is what God wants, right? This sort of ordained kings did it, right? Where they had to believe they were chosen by God. Mm-hmm. You know, billionaires, I think, do it where they have to believe that, like, I I think that's what, like, a Mitch McConnell does. Like, I really think Mitch McConnell is like, nope, I've got, I'm here for a reason. And everything I do, no matter how underhanded, no matter how, whatever that I do is... Is for the greater good. Therefore, I can enact these horrible, right, things. It's not that they're proactively evil. It's they've got some antisocial trait, right. That's again, I don't know Mitch McConnell. I've not. I should name asterisk. I have. I'm talking about some real people, and I'm saying some stuff about mental health. I don't know these people. I've never worked with these people. I cannot, you know, claim a diagnosis or or anything. I mean,
2: I think I think the Mitch McConnell thing is is interesting from the sense that like, didn't he vote against the the like marriage equality act, or like yes he voted
1: against the marriage equality act even though he's uh, in in an interracial marriage
2: right yeah and it's like Um, what are are the mental gymnastics that are
1: going on there well i think a lot of the mental gymnastics are similar to like what we see when people are like thinking about like uh you know defunding the police where they're like oh this this brutality is really bad but like i feel safe at the end of the day when the police are around so i definitely think things need to change but like let's not you know, so Mitch right. McConnell is like, but in I don't want to sacrifice my privilege. Right. Right. And so his, his, his safety isn't going to be sacrificed. Right. Like it with COVID, right. The people that, that were most at risk for death, uh, you know, or for grievous life consequences in COVID are, are poor people and they're, mm-hmm. and they're people of color and they're people who are already marginalized where having to miss work for a month can, can just completely cut the legs out from under your whole family for, Housing for whatever, right? Like they're, you know, the the wealthy people got to go to a hospital where they knew they'd have a ventilator. So, like, even in right. the worst case scenario, you know, the the wealthy people. um And I think a lot of people have to tell themselves that that wealth is somehow like that they deserve it, right? Because otherwise, oh God, it yeah, can be taken from just, you, right, at any time,
2: right. Yeah. If I'm not, if I'm not taking this secret vaccine, somebody else will take it.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, especially that, that few weeks when the vaccine was only available to a few and people were offering like $25,000 for the vaccine and things like that, which, and again, it was like two to three weeks before it was like widely available, which like was bonkers. Yeah. It was bonkers. Psychological term. You heard it here first bonkers, <laughs> bonkers. <laughs> um i found an article uh from scientific american which again is like a popular science magazine so it is a it is a magazine that is based in fact this is not a journal article but it is it references some journal articles this is um I found an article called uh does intelligence guarantee actual wealth mm. um and this is by um David Biello uh in 2007, and essentially this article is looking at like what is the correlation between like intellect and wealth, and what the you know there's a bunch of articles that have been that have been published. There's a study of 7,000 Americans uh that were that were followed since their teen years in the 70s, and they followed up yes. with them in 2004 mm-hmm. uh, when I, they I were. I saw that one. Yeah, when they were. So now they're they're ba- they're baby boomers. Yeah. Um, and they uh found that there is no relationship between wealth and iq uh however there is a relationship between income and iq now Mm -hmm. let's once again if y'all have been listening to this for a year you know iq tests are racist they are sexist they are normed on white people knowing what white people should know right what white american people should know they're they're the IQ test is super 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 biased so yeah, people who I, do very well on the IQ test are shown right. to have higher income
2: there's um in that same like study i was reading that showed those two things um from that that survey there's also another study that um by collie and colleagues that and they kind of constructed their own measure of cognitive ability, uh-huh. and the effect completely disappears with yeah. income.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, of course, right? Because it it's its own. Yeah, it's so it's so fraught. And also, the important thing for wealth, there is no relationship. And so, yeah. wealth is your overall sort of like uh, what's the word? That net I'm worth looking for? it? Your net worth, but um, your uh, properties, assets? your assets. Thank you. The overall sort of collection of your assets. Um, and show there is no relationship for wealth. So what we're actually seeing is people with higher IQs uh, are as likely, I guess, more likely in in this sense to have um, outstanding credit card debt, fall behind in bill payments, declare bankruptcy. That like there, there's a lot more volatility to high income, which I mm-hmm. also think like higher income begets more risks. Um, I went on a date last year. Well, with I more money, more problems. Re- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, But uh, that I went on a date with somebody last year who who did like ultra high net worth uh, asset management for a big one of the big banks, Mm -hmm. which like weird, but it didn't work out. Um, (laughs) Anyways, and uh, and he was saying he was like, you know, what's so wild is like people who have a billion dollars, say, like are willing to make incredibly risky investments with hundreds of millions of dollars because if you have a billion dollars and all of a sudden you now only have 150 million dollars your day-to-day changes zero like there is no shift because you're still extremely wealthy right even if you lose you know an insane amount of money that math did not work that would be eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars to a hundred or eight hundred fifty million to you know 150 million but it's fine i'm not a mathematician
2: that's still that's I, mean, I think you're still point. Your point still stands.
1: Also, fun fact on this note: anybody who uh, may have seen me on a particular game show, I rewatched that afterwards and realized I did a bunch of bad mental math out loud on national television. Uh, fun skill about me <laughs> is I'm great at that. Uh, it's fine. I made a bunch of money. Um, anyways, so uh,
2: that's one I where uh, I guess your your math ability and your your income from that episode did not correlate
1: Oh no, trust me, they're correlated based on how much income I have left from that episode. They are <laughs> highly correlated. Um yeah,
2: yeah. I, I I the other thing, okay, so uh-huh. I I read that as well. That was, you know, the IQ test just being like totally Totally. the worst. Um the other thing that came up for me though in, in the in the sense that like we really want to believe that there are these factors within our control or like these factors that we can map out how to be rich and how to be wealthy and stuff. It's like this, this idea that, that we want to believe we live in a meritocracy.
1: Right. We
2: really do. And, and it's this, this came up a lot with black lives matter and like understanding institutionalized oppression and like, you know, systemic racism of just like, no, it's not a level playing field for everyone. And we keep, like advocating or like you know spouting these ideals that like Mm -hmm. if you work hard enough if you're smart enough if you have enough grit and perseverance like you can make it and like you know have a lot of money and like be happy and all that and i think that is a huge bias for why people are so willing to buy into that correlation or that Mm -hmm. correlation being causation right because they they want to feel like not only do we all live in a In a level playing field where it's just all up to you to like, you know, um, but like, you know, we, we want to believe that these are like, we can map it out.
1: Right. It's the resistance to like people accepting that they have privilege, particularly like uh, Mm -hmm. white people of lower socioeconomic status being like, I am not privileged. And it's like. Okay. You do not have financial privilege. Okay. That's fine. You do not come from generational wealth. Okay. Sure. You're right. That means, you know, on the ladder of privilege, you are down on some rungs. However, your race is not something that has gotten in the way of your you know your freedom your ability to seek a job your family history of trauma like all of the your, the relationship you have with police neighborhoods and where you're welcome to live you know where yeah. you feel safe walking at night in in yeah. these different ways like you know and just the acceptance that like you benefit uh disproportionately than you know compared to compared to other people and it, privilege is a constellation y'all privilege is not a you know a unidirectional unipolar kind of thing where it's like who has the most privilege and the least like there's so many different ups and downs and and ways in which like that your position can be be shifting that that's accepted that's okay right and it's you know we talk a lot about privilege on this podcast we both come from just different experiences etc and like in that we both have benefits that the other does not and also we
2: we both do benefit from privilege that you know is sometimes the same sometimes not
1: sometimes the same sometimes not and yeah you know and it's okay to acknowledge that you've had an advantage it doesn't have to invalidate your entire you know life and experience and it's that like fragility to hear that somebody says like no you you had a leg up like nobody says oh well michael phelps your arms are longer than most people's arms. So that's why you're such a good swimmer. Michael Phelps is like, yeah. Yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> right. The, I, this reminds me of the Nepo a... babies conversation yes. that's yes. like happening now. And all the Nepo babies are like, hey. Some of uh-uh. them are. I actually think I mean, some, some of them, them have like addressed it. Have yeah, like yeah. really
1: come out and been like, yeah. I mean, like, I think there's a great there, there's it's absolutely this kind of thing where like anybody who's coming in and saying that, like, they're not that they're they don't have an advantage. actually. I'm not gonna say this just in case we blow up, but I met somebody once in like 2009 who has since become a very famous movie star. You've heard this story before, Uh, who I remember her saying in a room full of struggling actors, she had just done like two or three like small parts in movies, now she's very famous. And she was saying, she was like, you guys don't know how hard it is to have famous parents. Do you know (laughs) what that's like? And then she had the nerve to say, and honestly, like lately I've been working so much I'm actually really exhausted. Like that is what she said in a room full. And it's one of those things where she's like one of the, and she's one of the worst Nepo babies. I also think she's talentless. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, so like this, uh, anybody who comes and anybody who's denying that like they have advantage. And I think it's it's about what you do with it.
2: Right. Yeah. I think it's been interesting because you're right. There have been some of, some of them have come out and acknowledged it. And I think, other people have felt a lot more like personally attacked or a resistance to acknowledging their right. privilege and it's like yeah that's that's about
1: right there you know Drew Barrymore has a great take on it where she's like yeah like i had an unbelievable like luck and also like she was like by the time i was born there was no generational wealth i had to work to support my entire family like she's able right. to hold both sides she's like i right. had a last name that people knew and, you know, these different things, I, you know, I think about somebody like a like a Miley Cyrus, where it's like she's, of course, a Nepo baby. And also, like, her success has so surpassed the surpa- the, the the fame of her father. And she like, right. you know, she had the microphone and she really did something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other people, for instance, that one particular movie star who I still think is talentless.
2: <laughs> yeah. Who has and not
1: it's... said anything about Nepo babies. Of course. She's just rude to her mom on red carpets.
2: <laughs> it's true though. Yeah, I it's it's an interesting kind of conversation. Um I did you have anything else you wanted to say about the Scientific American article? No.
1: That's like the okay. main the main sort of bits of it.
2: Yeah. So, I I I don't know. I that's kind of all I have as well. I think there's just like a lot to explore and a lot of reasons why we kind of uphold this this perceived like connection between intelligence and wealth, um, because it it makes us feel like it's attainable too. You know, like it's, uh, yeah. I I I I really like that this movie was like so explicit about like the billionaire is dumb, and there's a lot going on in the world right now that is making us question that about like actual billionaires
1: truly and i think there's just so much that we like you know need we you know we need to be mindful of as we like look at how many people are like aggrandizing and like obsessed with uh, you know mm-hmm. these these people i saw a recent tweet that was like um <laughs> that said something like uh elon musk started making electric cars and i knew nothing about electric cars and so i was like wow he must be a genius and then he did like paypal or whatever and he's like and i know nothing about like transferring money or yada yada yada. he must be a genius and then he started doing and then he started doing rocket science and i know an awful lot about rocket science and i heard him talk and i thought oh god this man's an idiot <laughs> And it's like <laughs> we just assume right because someone has wealth that they must be brilliant when like right. again like you you if you're given a hundred million dollars and you, you make some good gambles all of a sudden, you've got billions and billions of dollars, which also like the rich are getting so much richer right now, um, especially yeah. since COVID.
3: Um, yeah.
1: The amount of wealth that has migrated from the like middle and lower uh, classes or socioeconomic uh, classes up into, you know, the the billionaire class. There's so many more billionaires than there were. Um, yeah. And we need to realize that like that is the thing. I mean, I I will say. I truly think and, you know, maybe this will prevent us from being picked up by a major network, but like I there's no way to be a billionaire without exploiting people. Just like this, this movie illustrates that, right? Like totally. And again, like to, and exploitation does not have to be sweatshop labor. It often is.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but, uh, you know, to become a billionaire, you have to decide that everyone beneath you does not deserve uh, deserves a fraction of the wealth that you right. are getting off that of. You
2: deserve more The
1: work. And yeah. so, like, you know, if if you wanted to be like a truly ethical, you know, mogul, then you really need to let that trickle down, right? As your as your profits increase 30%, everyone's salary increases 30%. Right. If you're, mm-hmm. you know, not just your hundreds of billions of dollars, you know what I mean? Like the there's a way to to have some equity in here. But yeah, I don't think any billionaires are listening to this. And if they are, we'd love to have you on the show <laughs> to tell you why you're wrong about your wealth. We'd um, love a sponsorship. Or- you know what? For a million dollars <laughs> each, you could silence us. Uh, yeah, for 100%. sure. We, we like, will delete easy, this episode easy. for two million dollars.
2: <laughs> like <laughs> not even I wouldn't think about that for more than like one second.
1: No, I feel no guilt. <laughs> None. No, no. We're
2: part of the problem. No.
1: Listen, if we're going to live in capitalism, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. So like, listen. Listen, I'd like to own a home. Uh, anyways,
2: wouldn't that be great?
1: Do you want to talk about this next movie? Because I picked, yeah,
2: you you actually did. I picked one.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, so this is a film from the year 1999.
2: (laughs) 1900,
1: like what? It's from the 1900s. Uh, it is, it's from 1999, before I was born. The tagline is reading. Writing revenge.
2: 1999. Reading, writing.
1: Is it a rom com? Uh, it's it calls itself a comedy romance. It's more in the comedy sort of satire. Revenge. It features revenge. a very young uh actress at the time who was big hit as like a late teens star and who has since become like an A-lister in Hollywood Uh, and an older actor who was huge in the 80s.
2: Is it election? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Reese and Matthew Broderick.
1: Reese and Matthew Broderick and Chris Klein. Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. Oh, this is a good pick.
1: This is a fun pick. I'm excited to do it. It seems like a real shift in a lot of what we've done. It does. It's also Alexander Payne, who was one of the writers with Jim Rash on uh, on The Descendants. Oh. Um. So we've done a little bit within the family, but this is a different vibe. Lots to talk about. Oh yeah. There's some obvious stuff, but I don't quite know where we're gonna where we're gonna go with it, which I'm excited about.
2: I, I like the politics angle, and but there's so many different places you can go oh yeah. yeah this is a really good pick
1: yeah i'm excited I, i'm excited too um so i've been dr jd barson <laughs> you sound like me <laughs> <I've>... <laughs> that was a hoof. I have bet. I saw a tweet today that said, "There's nothing funnier than when your friend mispronounces a word." Like, actually, nothing <laughs> is funnier. Ugh, that was accidental. I am. I have been Dr. JD Barton,
2: <laughs> and I have been Dr. Joanna Whitkin.
1: This has been another gorgeous episode of Real Psych.
2: We have rung in the new year. Ring a ding ding. So, like, rate, subscribe. Try to find us on YouTube. I
1: dare you. Tell a friend. <laughs> Tell two friends. And we will see you next week. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.